Welcome in, Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. It is Friday. I hope all of you are ready to roll into a weekend, the final weekend of the NFL season, regular season anyway. I'm going to get into that. Uh, We've got some interesting census data out uh, that proves that everybody is fleeing the blue states in favor of the red states. Kevin McCarthy is poised to become speaker somewhere around the 13th, 14th, 15th vote, whatever it may be. Prince Harry said that he was a bigot before he'd started dating Meghan Markle. I'm uh, not buying it, or I want to analyze that. Uh, Japan, COVID shot data. Guess what? COVID shot's not working. I'm going to talk about what that data shows. WWE is for sale per the Wall Street Journal. This is something I have been predicting for some time now. We will discuss that. Also, what do you say as a parent when your kids ask you, is Santa real? Um, I will discuss that and more. So if you are out there and kids are listening, perhaps be careful. Um, and, uh, but we began more good news. DeMar Hamlin appears that he is going to be fine. He has now addressed, uh, his team in some way, the Buffalo Bills. He appeared on a FaceTime call for the team as they get ready for the final week of the regular season, week 18 action in Buffalo. Um, and uh, I would just say this, now is the time, now that we know that DeMar Hamlin is going to be okay, I think it makes sense to figure out and make it public what exactly happened to DeMar Hamlin. Just straightforward. What was his medical condition? Uh, What occurred? Was it a strike to the heart? Was it some pre-existing heart danger that screening missed? It's important to figure out what exactly caused DeMar Hamlin's issues so hopefully we can ensure that an issue like this never happens again. Was, this is a fair question now, was the COVID shot in any way involved? We know that the COVID shot has created myocarditis in some individuals. Did DeMar Hamlin get the COVID shot? Was it involved in any way in his issue on the football field? All of those Very valid questions. I want to, though, make sure that I give a shout-out. I can't remember if I've done this on this show. I want to make sure that I give credit to everyone involved in the training staff of the Buffalo Bills, of the Cincinnati Bengals, who may have acted on that field on that day to save DeMar Hamlin's life. Uh, I think this is massively important. Everybody prepares for these situations, but few people are able to actually save a life on a football field. Almost never has occurred, but those guys are the unsung heroes who got out on that field and saved DeMar Hamlin's life. Credit to them. Now, now that DeMar Hamlin is okay, and now that we are uh, uh, sure that he's going to be, in some measure, fine, I think it's important to discuss how do you finish the season? And the NFL agrees. They've brought out their scheduling plan to finish the season. This, by the way, is why I thought Skip Bayless was unfairly treated for the tweet that he sent out. Was it a bit tone deaf given the emotional situation of Twitter at that point in time? Yes. But we had to figure out how to finish out the season. And so now the NFL has decided Bills and Bengals is never going to be played. 
So each of those teams is only going to play 16 games. This basically means that the Kansas City Chiefs are likely to be the number one overall seed. And also, if it ends up in the AFC Championship game, that there may well be a neutral site event hosting that game uh, as a result of the scenario between those two teams. The team that ends up losing the most here, however, is the Bengals because there is a scenario that despite the fact that they have won the AFC North, if they were to lose in this game, if they were to lose the Bengals were against the Ravens to close out this season, there is a scenario, I believe it also involves uh, the, the, the Chargers winning, that could lead to a coin flip to determine who would host a playoff game in that 4-5 matchup in the event that we ended up with, or maybe it's the Chargers losing, in the event that we ended up with the Chargers, sorry, the the Bengals going up uh, against the Ravens, there would be a coin flip in what would be, I believe, a 4-5 matchup in that scenario over who ends up representing the home team in that game. Seems crazy to me because the Bengals are losing an opportunity to play against the Bills. Remember, that was a game they were winning and they had possession of the football at the time of the DeMar Hamlin injury. They would have been favored to win that game. Maybe they wouldn't have. The Bills have been very good on the road. The Bills are also losing the opportunity to potentially be the outright number one seed and to get that by. So it's pretty significant for them as well. The Chiefs, I would say, are the biggest beneficiary here. But the Bengals are the biggest loser of the way this is put in place because they are altering that uh, record scenario instead of just going to overall win percentage to determine how this would be uh, how this would be allotted. Uh, they are going to go and look at uh, again. The, the Ravens have put out their uh, their tweet. So let me go to that instead of trying to dance around um, and uh, and explain to you exactly what needs to happen for the Ravens to get a home playoff game. Remember, I would say the biggest Ravens story of the year so far has been that Lamar Jackson continues to not play. Is he going to be back for the playoffs or not? I think that uh, that is a, a sort of a challenging situation uh, to figure out. But here is what the Ravens have put out. If they win... And if the Chargers win, then there would be a coin toss to determine whether the Ravens had a home playoff game. So there is your scenario. Uh, According to uh, the the Ravens, they have tweeted, if they win, if the Chargers win, there's a coin toss, which is crazy, to between the Ravens and the Bengals to decide if the Ravens or the Bengals gets a home playoff game. That feels to me unfair to the Bengals. Bengals are the biggest losers here uh, in terms of the scenarios to decide the AFC. And I think it's fair to say that the Chiefs are the biggest winner because it may put them in a scenario. Remember, this is a crazy stat. Did you know that Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game? Every playoff game that Patrick Mahomes has played in his entire career as the starter has occurred in Kansas City. And Now, there may be a neutral site playoff game this year, which would be the first one he's ever not played in, but there probably, based on whatever happens on Saturday, is no scenario where Patrick Mahomes could have to play on the road again this year. That's pretty remarkable. 
to never go on the road for a playoff game this far into his career, uh, depending and, and, and determining how well that Kansas City has been able to play so far. Uh, as we speak right now, let me just go ahead and pull it up. We may be in the midst of another speaker vote. Uh, I am going to uh, to scroll through. Kevin McCarthy is going to end up being your speaker. And it may well happen tonight. We are down to three or four people who need to change their vote in order for Kevin McCarthy to end up the speaker. Uh, and uh, basically, this is now a foregone conclusion. We're on the 13th vote. Maybe he's going to win on the 14th or the 15th vote. A lot of different people have moved in his direction so far, uh, and it now appears that Kevin McCarthy is going to be the speaker. I do not believe that in the weeks and months ahead, it's going to be a very big deal that it took this long to select a speaker. And for everybody out there, I don't think the speaker really matters uh, because Republicans are only going to have the House Democrats have the Senate. Joe Biden is obviously the president. And so the power of the House is primarily to act as a means of obstruction to Joe Biden's agenda going forward. And so the question is, how much of a commitment uh, are we going to see to Republicans sticking together under House Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, in opposition to Joe Biden? That will be Truly intriguing to see how all of that shakes out. But that is the latest. For everybody out there who's been obsessed with the speaker, that is what is going to happen with the speaker vote uh, going forward. Now, I saw this and I haven't talked about it, uh, but they came out with census data uh, at the end of the year to let us know what kind of migration had we seen in the United States. And one of my big theories one of my big arguments has been that uh, as we go forward, COVID accelerated, red getting redder, and blue getting bluer. Now, I live in the state of Tennessee, as many of you know, born and raised here. Um, and Tennessee has become an overwhelming red state, right? Races are not remotely close, 65-35 in the governor's races. I don't know what would have to happen in order for a Democrat to have a chance to win in a statewide race here. There's not really remotely close. And there's been concern in Tennessee and places like Texas and, uh, and in Florida and in North Carolina, places like that, that, hey, the people who are moving in here are coming from blue states and they're going to make these states purple or they're going to change the politics. And what I've been arguing based on what I had been seeing, was the people who are moving here are moving here for the politics, and they're actually going to make red redder, and by virtue of their departures, they're going to make the blue states bluer. COVID has accelerated the divide in many of our states. Well, the data is reflecting that I am telling you the truth. Top 10 states for migration in 2022 so far. Florida added nearly 320,000 uh, people to its population. Texas, 230,000 net additions. North Carolina, just shy of 100,000 new arrivals. South Carolina, 84,000 new arrivals. Tennessee, 81,000 
new arrivals. So, five Southern states, overwhelmingly, by and large, red states. The only one of these states now, North Carolina, that has been even competitive for Democrats of late. Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, top additions. Then you go Georgia, which obviously went seven out of eight red in statewide elections. We'll see exactly how that migratory pattern impacts things. Arizona, one of the biggest toss-up states in the country. Idaho, Alabama, Oklahoma. So people are overwhelmingly moving to red states. And even if you want to count Arizona as a blue state, it's a very narrow blue state. And I would bet that these are red voters migrating to Arizona. But by and large, top 10 relocations moving to red states. Where are these relocators coming from? Overwhelmingly from blue states. California lost 340,000 people. New York Nearly 300,000 people left New York. Illinois loses 140,000. New Jersey, 64,000. Massachusetts, 57,000. All five of those states, overwhelmingly blue states, losing population. California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Then Louisiana, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Minnesota. So people are leaving, by and large, blue states, and they are moving to red states. And in particular, I would point to California and Florida. And I would ask everyone this question, which is going to lead into my data here on Japan and COVID. If the red states were making it more dangerous to live why would people overwhelmingly be leaving blue states to go to red states? If it were more dangerous, and if blue states were making far better choices, why wouldn't people be moving to those blue states? Why are they overwhelmingly moving to states like Tennessee, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina? I'll tell you. Because those states are better run. And the quality of life is better here. And it's a big deal. Because Kathy Hochul now has recognized it. Tennessee, Texas, and Florida have no state income tax. Why would you pay 13, 14, 15, 16% in tax in New York and California if you are high earning for a broken left-wing political system? Now, look, if you're super wealthy, and I think that's what the other data here is showing, the people that are moving are overwhelmingly very wealthy. Let's say you make a million dollars a year, okay? If you leave New York and you move to Tennessee, you're saving yourself around $150,000 a year just in state income tax. Move from California to Tennessee, around $150,000 in your pocket. That doesn't consider how much more affordable your property taxes are, for instance, I'm just talking about your state income tax. Why would you ever live, if you are wealthy, in California or New York when you could live in Texas, Tennessee, or Florida and save yourself a bundle? More affordable property taxes, 
better quality of life, way lower tax rate, why would you ever stay in those blue states? And I don't know that most people have even recognized it yet, but eventually these blue states are going to be in a major tax crisis. Because I'm talking about people making a million dollars a year. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Some of these guys moving are making 10, 20, 100 million dollars a year. It doesn't take very many of those guys moving to low-tax states in order for the budgets to collapse. Let me give you a good example. You know, New York and Florida have around the same number of people now. I believe Florida has a little bit more. New York's state budget is double what Florida's state budget is. Yet they are getting a lower quality of value. Let me repeat that. The state of New York spends twice as much money as the state of Florida does. Roughly similar populations. Yet Florida voters are far more happy with their governance. Again, just an easy question for everybody out there. I think the the answer for a lot of people was, well, I can't move because of my job. But I think what COVID proved is many people can do their jobs from many different parts of the country just as well. And so if you live in California and you're high earning, if you live in New York and you're high earning, if you live in uh, Illinois and you're high earning, why would you stay there? Why wouldn't you move to a lower tax region with far better governance structure? I think that's what you're seeing. It's a big story. Pay attention to it because when red voters move out of those states, they actually make blue voting more likely, which is going to lead to even more disastrous choices politically being made, which is going to continue to force out more red voters. Final little stat for you. Did you know, this is a crazy point, did you know that more people voted for Donald Trump in California than in Texas in 2020? People's minds are blown when I share that stat. Let me repeat it. More people in California voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than did in Texas. Now, that's a function of how big the population is in California, but it's also telling that it shows you how many Republicans actually live in the state of California. Um, All right, a couple of other things. Prince Harry. Prince Harry according to this new book that he's got coming out, a lot of different stories that are coming out there, but I jumped on one. He said before he started dating Meghan Markle, he thought he was bigoted uh, and that she cured him of his bigotry. And first of all, I just don't buy this, okay? Um, Because I think, and I'm curious how many of you would agree, almost every guy doesn't see race he sees hot or not. In other words, I think almost every guy, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, sees nothing in women other than are they hot or not. I think that is the overwhelming number one thing that guys see. I can't speak for women. I don't know what they see. I think probably they see, hey, how much money does that guy make? Guys see hot or not, all right? So, or how tall they are. Women, this is underrated. Women discriminate against short men. Thesis for you. 
Women discriminate against short men more than any group in America discriminates against any other group. Think about it. If you go on like dating profile sites, lots of women won't date men who are like shorter than six foot. I remember having this conversation with my wife. I was like, hey, if I were 5'8", would you have dated me? She's like, probably not. She's 5'2". I'm right at six foot tall. My own wife, when we met, I was like, what, you're telling me that if I were 5'8", you wouldn't have... No, she's like, no, I probably wouldn't have dated you. But she's 5'2". I would understand if she were like 5'9". Like, I understand a woman who's like, yeah, I just don't want to be taller than the guy that I date. Like, uh, when I wear high heels. Like, I understand that calculus. My own wife said, if you were 5'8", I wouldn't have dated you. So many women on their dating plat- uh, on their dating apps completely wipe out short dudes from dating. Most discriminated group in America, short men. Think about it. Bald men might be number two. You're short and bald. You got a couple of things that you got to overcome. You better be really rich. Uh, all right, so I don't believe that men see anything other than hot or not. And my argument would be, if you would not date a hot Asian, hot black, hot Hispanic, hot white girl, regardless of what your race is, you're racist. Good test for men. But Meghan Markle, you wouldn't know what her racial background was at all. Harry, according to my buddy Buck, says that he saw her for the first time on Instagram. Makes sense. He saw a hot girl, and he was like, hey, is she single? Will you introduce us? I don't blame him for that. But you wouldn't know if you just saw Meghan Markle's pictures what her racial background was. So I don't even buy that Prince Harry was bigoted in any way. Because if he saw her and thought, oh, she's hot, which is the number one test that every man, before you even hardly think, you think, oh, she's hot. I'll give you an example. You want something to say to your wife or girlfriend you've been married to or dating her for a long time. This happens every now, st- every now and then still with me. Say you go to the grocery store. Say you go out to Target. Say you're at Costco. And you are walking around in that store. And you separate. She says, hey, go get the milk. I'm going to go get the vegetables. Or I'm going to go get the fruit. Or hey, you take the kids and go look at the toy section. I've got, or whatever it is. And you're separated. And then, like, you both have your carts and you're walking around. How many times, I've been with my wife for over 20 years now. We started dating in January of 2002. So, yeah, over 20 years now we've been together. Been married for, whatever, 18 years. Going on 19. Still happens, every now and then, that I am in a store with her I don't anticipate seeing her. I come around the corner and for a fraction of a second, the first time I see her from a distance or whatever else, I think, oh, that's a good-looking girl. Still happens. You tell that story to your wife or your girlfriend, if it's a long-time girlfriend, you are still attracted to her on that instantaneous moment before you even recognize who it is. Every guy knows you're walking in the airport, you're walking in a grocery store, you're walking in a Costco, and you don't see your wife 
for you don't expect to see her, you're turning down an aisle. You see a woman, the first thing you think, hopefully, when you see your wife, before you even process that's her, you think, oh, that might be an attractive girl. Or, oh, that is an attractive girl. Still happens to me. Because guys, we are hardwired to think, am I attracted to that person or not? And I think in this era, in particular, just about every guy that I know doesn't see race, they see hot or not. I want you to think about it. And so I don't even buy what Prince Harry is trying to sell. But if you're listening to me right now, and if a smoking hot Asian girl, smoking hot black girl, smoking hot Hispanic girl, smoking hot white girl, combination of any of those, wanted to hook up with you, and you wouldn't, because of her race, you are racist. Number one test for men. Hopefully you're not racist. Uh, WWE is now for sale per the Wall Street Journal. WWE now for sale. Uh, A story in the Wall Street Journal says Vince McMahon wants to come back and put uh, WWE for sale. And I've been a longtime WWE shareholder. I've got lots of friends who work at WWE. My old agent, Nick Khan, is the president of WWE. Good guy. I'm not basing this on any of their decisions. I've been a shareholder for a long time. You go back and read old columns at OutKick. I've been saying this was going to happen, that somebody was going to buy WWE. You go back and read old tweets when I told you that I was going to be buy WWE. I've had it for a long time. Stock's up almost 10x since I said, hey, everybody out there should go buy WWE, okay? My point on all this is it's an incredible company to own. And if the Phoenix Suns are selling for $4 billion, oh, by the way, not to name drop, one of my buddies from Vanderbilt Law School will be one of the owners of the Phoenix Suns, Justin Ishbia. He and his brother, Matt, are buying the Phoenix Suns. He's dunking on everybody in our law school class. Most successful, multi-billionaire. Now he's buying a pro sports franchise. But if the Phoenix Suns are valued at $4 billion, and if the expectation is if Dan Snyder sells the Washington Redskins, the Washington Commanders, that he's going to sell them for around six, seven, maybe even $8 billion, how is the entire WWE not worth at least 8 to $10 billion dollars. So the stock at WWE, as I speak to you, with around a half hour to go until all is done, uh, the WWE is up around $13 so far today. It is up over $6 billion in value, 18%. uh, That stock is up. I hope you have listened to me and been a long-term shareholder of the WWE because, again, it is up near all-time record highs in the last 10 years. And so I would ask you, um, if you are out there, would you rather own all of the WWE or one team in the NFL, in the NBA, Major League Baseball that is on a high level? My suggestion would be that the value is in the WWE because you control all of it. Now, I think there's a lot of people that could be bidding. Endeavor. Endeavor owns the UFC. I want to own an entire league right now in this streaming era if I'm making a choice. So Endeavor could be a buyer. Comcast could be a buyer. Fox could be a buyer. 
Disney could be a buyer. I've been arguing this for a long time, that the one that makes the most sense in this era is to actually own everything, as opposed to owning one small part of something. So this, in and of itself, is uh, is intriguing to keep an eye on. WWE for sale is going to do, I think, very, uh, very well on the marketplace. And I hope you are a fellow WWE shareholder. I think eight to ten billion dollars makes a ton of sense. Final couple of thoughts here. Um, did you see Cardi B complained about grocery prices? She was frustrated about grocery uh, and then posted a video about it. Um, What's fascinating is, Cardi B, this is what you voted for, okay? Joe Biden's economic policies are a disaster. And so it's fascinating to me to watch people who are capitalists, right? What I've been arguing for a long time is there's an unholy alliance in the Democrat Party between people who are actually creators of content, between extreme capitalists and Democrats. Because Democrats do not support you. Like This is one of the things that I would like to do is remake the political party structure. Because if you are a clear capitalist, which the Cardi B's, the Taylor Swift's uh, of the world are, rappers, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Why in the world are you supporting left-wing socialist economic policies? It's the antithesis of everything you have fought for. And look, I understand the argument of, oh, we're trying to put a drop a ladder to help everybody else climb up, but Democrats don't understand basic economics. Look, I voted for Democrats before. I voted for uh, Al Gore. I voted for Barack Obama. But if you go back and look, Bill Clinton Democrats used to understand basic economics. They understood business. They had smart, sophisticated leaders around them who understood business. There's almost no Democrat out there at all who understands basic business. And if you are a successful capitalist innovator, a creator... This Cardi B complaining about inflation, you voted to create inflation. And remember, as bad as inflation is right now, it would actually be far worse, frankly, if Joe Biden had gotten his way. Remember, Joe Biden wanted to spend $5 trillion more than what actually ended up getting spent in his budget policies. The only reason inflation is not 20% is because Republicans stood up and said no. Now, I wish we'd all stood up and said no on more things, right? Economic policy-wise, lockdowns were a disaster. Telling people that their business was essential or non-essential was one of the greatest failures in American political history. I believe we're going to look back on all of the COVID economic policies that the United States embraced and we're going to say this was an unmitigated disaster. But it's crazy to me how many people out there are looking around at how bad the economy has gotten and how expensive things have become, and they aren't willing or able to recognize 
that economic choices have consequences. And that at some point in time, if you keep spending money, you are devaluing the overall brand of, uh, of the economy. It reminds me of when I was a kid. I used to think, remember when we used to actually talk about the national debt? I remember watching television and being like, okay, how can we have a debt? Why can't we just print more money? That's basically what Democrats believe of inflation. It's like, oh, whatever, we've got a $30 trillion deficit. If you were investing right now, you wouldn't buy the United States as a business because the debt costs are too substantial to allow this country to run as a very functional business. People don't understand the basic business. You know, before all this happened, Democrats were saying, oh, modern monetary theory means that we can spend as much as we want and there are no consequences. Well, no, 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 no. Sooner or later, economic reality always comes to pass. Do you remember when everybody out there was like, hey, you know what the next big thing is going to be? NFTs, non-fungible tokens. I remember looking around and being like, why would I want... Like, I understand why people want to buy a baseball card or a uh, or some form of collectible that is tangible. It's like, I don't buy into this idea that people really want digital tokens to hold on their computers. People want physical assets, okay? And over time, those NFT slow those NFTs went way up, right? People paying whatever they are, crazy numbers for all this stuff. And then economic reality sets in. Go read a book. Go look at the tulip uh, craziness. Go look at the American housing crisis. Go look at the East India Tea Company back in the day. Every bubble eventually gets punctured, gets popped. The American economic bubble is still in existence. And as long as we are 30 plus trillion dollars in debt, it's unsustainable. Remember, and this is worth mentioning, Bill Clinton balanced the national budget and actually started paying off our national debt. Everybody's forgotten about that. They said it was impossible, that there was no way to cure our national debt. Bill Clinton actually balanced the budget and started to pay down the debt. In 2000, when he left office, we were in the process of putting our financial house in order, and then everything blew up. You know, 2010, the Tea Party revolted because we were $10 trillion in debt. You know, we're $30 trillion in debt now, 30, $30 trillion plus. In the space of 12 years, we've added $20 trillion to the national debt. And with inflation rates going up, a huge percentage of our national budgets going forward are going to actually be interest on the national debt. When interest rates are like 1% or 2%, that's basically inflation or below inflation. You're borrowing money at even cost. Now our rates of borrowing money, try to get a mortgage right now. It's nearly 7%. Doubled in the space of a year. These are real tangible financial consequences. So I understand people like Cardi B complaining about inflation. Good for her for recognizing what things cost because lots of really rich people don't. But understanding what the economic reality is that has created those circumstances is also important. You can't 
manage your own credit cards like the United States government has managed our national debt. And at some point, your credit card balance gets rejected. They won't lend you more money. I feel like our country is rapidly moving towards that era as well. Finally, got a long show as we go into uh, the uh, as we go into the long weekend. My eight-year-old asked me one of the toughest questions out there. First of all, my eight-year-old last night, just in his face. It's Thursday night. Usually on Thursday night, we watch Thursday night football. My eight-year-old is obsessed with football. My 12-year-old is. My 14-year-old is. It's pretty cool to be a dad and have three kids that are obsessed with sports. But last night, we're getting ready, getting getting home. Everybody's finished their sports and their school for the evening and everything else. And he says, Dad, let's put on Thursday night football. I said, sorry, bud. Thursday night football is over. And he just said, over? And, I mean, his face was just so crestfallen that Thursday night football could not exist. I said, yeah, bud, it's going to be August again before we can watch Thursday night football, either college or pro. Utterly devastated. Utterly devastated kid. I felt bad for him. Um, but then, in the morning, I'm sitting around, you know, reading the paper, starting off my day, and he says, Dad, do you believe in Santa Claus? That's a tough one. Dad, do you believe in Santa Claus? Eight years old, second grader. You know what I said? I said, what did your mom say? That's a good, look, parenting tip for all the dads out there. One of the best things you can say in response to a question that you get from your kids is, what did mom say? Because these kids are smart. They'll try to slice and dice you. They'll try to create parental division. They'll try to align you against each other. Number of times that I've been asked, hey, can I sleep over at so-and-so's house? Can so-and-so sleep over here? What did your mom say? One of the best lessons you can learn as a dad, you're going to get blamed for what your kids do. I get blamed so much for what my kids do. Nothing to do with it. It's my fault. Make Dodge, dodge making decisions as much as you can. Let mom make as many decisions as possible and then support mom in her decisions. I said, I'm not asking mom. I'm asking you. It's a solid chess move on his part. And so he's eight, second grade. Truth be told, I'm not opposed to being on the road for Christmas, right? We've had a lot of Christmases now. Basically, 14 Christmases in a row now in the Travis household with young kids excited to go to open presents and everything else. And I said, well, when uh, this is my only answer. I don't know what the right answer is. You guys can tweet me. What's the right age to have that sit-down conversation? I said, when I was a kid, I did. And then I rapidly shifted it to, how do you think Josh Dobbs is going to do in the game against the Jags? Still Jedi mind trick parent. Get him out of what he wants to talk about. Get him into another conversation. Boom. Right back to the NFL. Sports save the day. I love all of you. I hope sports saves your weekend. I will share you my OutKick six-pack tomorrow. This has been OutKick the Show. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP.